It's amazing when we lift our praises to God, how he hears our praises. And um, whenever we go vertical, it affects us horizontal. And um, just want to encourage you guys as we continue on in worship that our, our attention, our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, it changes everything. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're excited to be in your house today. And God, I'm reminded of what the psalmist David said. One thing I have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So Father, as we seek you, help us to get some encouragement from your word. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray for each and every person here, God, that they would leave changed and transformed since we have an encounter with you. And God, help us not just be hearers of the word, but help us be doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you just joining us, we just started a series last week called Become Who You Are. And we're doing a verse-by-verse study of Ephesians. And I don't know about you, at least I did. Last week I walked away encouraged that I am loved by God, that I'm a saint, that in Christ I'm holy, that I'm adopted, that I'm accepted. And that was an encouragement. Today is kind of a continuation because Ephesians 1, 6 through 12 is actually in the original Greek. Uh, verses 3 through 12 is actually the same sentence in Greek. Paul is kind of like some of us. We do run-on sentences. It's all like one sentence. But it's a lot to cover in one, one, one passage. So we're going to break it down in part two. But um, I've really been thinking of a theme for the new year for the church. And this is something I like to do each year is, God, what's the theme that we're going to have this year? So uh, I gave a message at the beginning of the year. It kind of hinted at a theme. But it's the theme of all in. And that's the theme of this year that I think 2017 is going to be a year when we give all in for the Lord to uh, encourage each other, to build up the body, and also to reach our community. And um, I'm excited. As you know, you see a lot of kids in our audience. And in the nursery, my wife just informed me, the nursery is like overflowing with kids. And we're really excited about that. So, yes. Um, one of the things that we've been doing is raising money for Nehemiah. And our first project is going to be that kids' hallway, the, the atrium there, the hallway, and those two preschool rooms because we want to have something first class for our parents, and as you drop off your kids, seeing something. So that's, stay tuned, we're on the final process of getting that project executed. So it's going to be really exciting for our kids and our parents. But throughout this year, we're going to look forward to what God has for you individually, for your your lives personally, as a family, and also corporately as a church. That this year, we're going to be all in. We're going to give our all and trust Jesus to do what we can't do. As one scholar once said, we do all that we can do and we let God do what we can't do. Amen. So I have on my podium here a little heart. And it's not quite Valentine's Day, but I've been told life's like a... You never know what's inside. Aaron, if you'll come help me. Who's craving a nice chocolate inside here? If you'll just raise your hand, Aaron's going to pass it out. We've got one hand up here. And see, I don't know what all these are, but they're all different. Uh, and some of you just went on the Daniel fast, so this is a great way to break it. Um, so we have chocolates. So today we're going to talk about in Christ. 
if you unpackage what's inside, there's so many treasures. And we have natural talents and abilities that we're given on our first birth that God gives us. But whenever we're born in Christ, born again, we have spiritual treasures that we didn't have at our first birth. These are treasures that God gives us. So today is kind of a continuation of part two. Raise your hand. He's still coming around if you want some chocolates. And chocolates aren't just for the ladies, in case some of the guys are wondering. So um, while he's giving out chocolates, i got a story. Um, it, it comes from a long time ago in 1141 A.D. It was a place in Germany, and some of you may have been to Wittenberg, Germany. But there is this castle, and the ladies of the castle were kind of worried because, as you can tell from the picture, it was surrounded by enemy troops. And the commanding invader said, I will let you ladies go free as long as you release to us all your treasures and we need to have all the men in our custody. Obviously, they were going to probably either make them slaves or do even worse. So the women knew that there was nothing they could do. So as ladies are often innovative, sometimes more than us guys, they they gave one caveat. They said, we will surrender as long as you let us take as many jewels as we can take out of the castle. And the commanding officer thought to himself, there's such riches in that castle. Thank you, I got some for dessert for later. There's such riches in that castle that there's no way these ladies could put a dent. They had silver, gold, jewelry, bling, bling. Everything you can imagine was in that castle. So the commanding officer said, sure, um, as much as your hands can carry, we will let you go out free. Um, we just got to take over the rest. So what happened next put the army in tears. As they opened the castle gates, they saw all the women of the castle carrying their husbands with them. And they were free to go. See, yeah, and all the women. This is, this is a really good story about women and the things they, they have done throughout history, but Part of it is they realized what their true treasure was. It wasn't the gold or the silver or the jewelry. It was the relationships. It was their husband. So today, we're going to unlock part two of the treasure that's inside of you in Christ. But we're going to talk about how real valuable these true treasures are. More valuable than silver, gold, nice cars, nice houses. These are the treasures in Christ. So just reviewing the background before we jump in the text, as we learned last week, Paul's writing from a Roman prison. It's around 80, 60, 80, 61. And he's writing to the church at Ephesus, a church that is surrounded by a culture that was totally against God. False religions, magic, witchcraft, um, power. Um, you know, there was a temple to the goddess of love and beauty, Artemis, also known as Diana. So this whole culture, when you turn on the news and you see what's going on, Ephesus knew all about it. But yet the church stood with love and also with truth. And we can learn a lot from this church. So let's, let's look about how we are spiritually rich in Christ. The first thing I want to bring to you is this. I'm spiritually rich in Christ because Jesus paid the price for my freedom. Look at verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence. 
Verse 9 says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Notice it's in Christ, all these treasures. And in him we have obtained an inheritance. And by the way, different translations translate it two different ways. You have obtained an inheritance or you are God's inheritance. And both are true. Being predestined, his, his, his plan, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who trusted first in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, notice it keeps on saying in Christ, in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And by the way, this in the original language, it's all one event. Having heard, you believed and you were sealed all at that time. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. May God bless his word. This is the word of God. So how many of you have ever been to an all-you-can-eat steakhouse? They have these certain, a lot of the men are shaking their hands, Brazilian steakhouses where you're sitting at the table and it's green if you want them to keep coming by and you change it to stop or red or whatever the steakhouse is. Well, this passage reminds me of a Brazilian steakhouse. There's so much information. We could spend a whole series just on this passage. I know the brother Martin could easily help us with that. He's so good with the details. But um, it's like a Brazilian steakhouse of riches in Christ. And by the end, you're going to be like, okay, I'm very full. And this is what we get. So let's look back at point number one on your listening guide. Jesus paid the price for my freedom. You have the word redemption here. And there's different Greek words for redemption. But basically... In all the words, it means to buy back in order to set free. And in the Greco-Roman society, this was very understandable because in this world, about one-third of the Roman world were slaves. And most of these slaves would do anything to gain their freedom. So when it says that we were redeemed, a lot of people in this audience understood what that meant. It meant to pay the redemption price and to set someone free. So I want you to notice that the cost of your freedom, it says redemption through his what? Blood. Now, we live in a PC society where we don't want to mention blood anymore. But here's the thing. It doesn't say through Jesus' moral life or his perfect life, and both of those are true. But our redemption comes through the cost of blood. And the blood represents the life, the sacrifice. And some churches today will say, well, Jesus didn't have to die. But if you read through Scripture, he did. Old Testament, New Testament, it says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And for our mind, it's hard to understand, but every year they had the Day of Atonement. And often what would happen is they would have two goats. One goat they would slay as a sacrifice, and the other goat would be a scapegoat that they would lay the sin symbolically and send them out of the wilderness where they'd never see that goat again. The problem was it kept happening every year. Because people kept sinning, as we all do. And all of those were simply IOUs till Jesus came. And whenever Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he redeemed all those IOUs in the Old Testament, all the sacrificial system 
and he was the one for all sacrifice. So that whenever you and I receive that forgiveness, Jesus died how many times? Just once. So all of your sins, past, present, and future sins you're yet to commit, it's already forgiven. And fellowship just needs to be restored. Amen? So we also have the concept of a big word called substitutionary atonement here. That Jesus died in your place. And the easiest way I know to explain this, and we've got some, some students in here and college students, is do you remember the worst kid in your class, the worst student that always got in trouble? I, I can remember his name, and hopefully no one here went to Inca. But uh, his name was Matt, and this kid got kicked out of school all the time. He smarted off to the teacher. Uh, thank the Lord, later on he got saved, and he's living for the Lord now. But that time, it was horrible. And I could just imagine Matt was so sneaky. I could imagine him going into the principal's office and before everything was digital, you could imagine taking the transcripts of that straight A student and switching his with all the in-school suspension and kicked out, switched transcripts. So whenever the principal saw his transcripts and whatever colleges in the future, they would see the perfect GPA. They would see the SAT scores. They wouldn't see the kid that was not a good student. Symbolically, that's what Jesus did for us. If you look at our our records, and many of you are educators in here, we, we had, it was so thick it wouldn't even fit in the principal's file. But because of what Jesus did, when we ask him into our life, he takes our record and he puts the transcript of Jesus Christ into our file. So when God looks at you, he sees holy, blameless, and without fault, even though that's not you, apart from him. Amen? J. Vernon McGee tells the story of the days before the Civil War occurred that there was a slave auction. And on the, the auction block, there was this beautiful 20-year-old African-American girl. And in the crowd, there was this really crude, crass man that began to set his eyes on that lovely 20-year-old and began to bid higher and higher and higher. And just so it happened to be in the audience that day, another gentleman that was loving and kind and compassionate, and he knew that this crass man had evil intentions for the young 20-year-old. So he began to bid higher and higher and higher. And finally, the craftsman stopped bidding because he didn't, the price was too high. And it, the, the lady said, sold to this gentleman here. And they gave him the bill slip saying, here's your, here's your possession. And he walked away. And the girl's like, where are you going? You bought me. And he looked at her and said, you don't understand. I didn't buy you to keep you. I bought you to set you free. And she's like, you mean I can go wherever I want to go and do whatever I want to do? He said, yes, you are free. Let me show you. And he wrote, set free, paid for on her, on her slip. And she said, sir, I've ne- never met anybody this loving and this kind and this compassionate as you. If you allow me to, I want to go and be with you and be your servant. So she decided to come home with him today, not as a slave, but as a servant and as a friend. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He paid the price that we couldn't pay so that he could set us free. And that's what redemption is all about. Because the sacrifice was costly, your life has more value than you can imagine. God treasures you as he does his own dear son. Because he gave his own dear son to die. Amen. Number two, I am now free to live like never before. Notice it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Part of being free, part of being redeemed, is not only are you set free, but now you're forgiven. You're allowed to live a life like you've never been before. 
Some of you history buffs may have heard of Reynal III, who was a duke in what's now Belgium. I'm telling a lot of old, old stories. But what's interesting about Reynal III is he and his brother had uh, a lot of conflict. And in time, his brother Edward took over. And according to history, he shoved Reynald in a room and he built a room around him with a window and a door. And he said, Reynald, you're free to come out anytime you want, but you have to fit through this door. See, the thing he knew about his brother is his brother had an addiction to food. And the door frame was normal, it was a normal size, but he couldn't fit through. So for 10 years, he stayed there, prisoned. And every day, Reynald would feed his brother more and more food. And he kept eating the desserts and the food, and he couldn't get out of the room. And he became a prisoner to his own appetite. Ten years later, the brother who took over, Reynald, took over Edward, um, he eventually died. And uh, Edward um, was no longer part of that. So Reynald was set free. But the problem is his health was so poor after ten years that he eventually died. So the battle of the brothers ended. And what, what's so sad about that story is... Um, he could have left any time, but he was a prisoner to his own appetite. And isn't that true with us? We don't realize that sin is not just the inconvenience, but it's something that Jesus had to do to set us free because he knew we were enslaved in that room. We couldn't, our own appetites kept us, all of us. And when we look at that, it's like, why are we held slave and captive? And sometimes we don't realize that, but our appetite sometimes keeps us from it. But if you realize in Christ that you're set free, but you're forgiven, you no longer want to live captive in that room anymore. You no longer want to live according to the appetites of your old nature, but you want to live for God. Amen. Number three, when it comes to grace, I struck it rich in Christ. Look at verse seven. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And notice it's his grace. So. When I say you struck it rich, it wasn't because anything you did. It was just receiving Jesus. It's his grace and his riches. I want to give you a story from Andrews, North Carolina, not too far from here. There's a guy named Robert Cutshaw. He, he owned this little shop on the side, and he would basically sell kind of like a pawn shop, uh, things he would find. And in that area, they have a lot of um, minerals and gems and things like that. So one day... He came across this beautiful emerald, this beautiful sapphire. And he's like, you know, I probably could get about $500 out of this. So he tried to sell it. No one wanted to buy it. So he hid it under his bed and in his closet for about 20 years. And later he finally took it to a professional. And the professional said, this is the biggest sapphire that we've ever found. It's actually called the Star of David. And you could see the Star of David within that. And they valued this piece at around $3 million. And he was just going to sell it for $500 to pay his water bill, light bill, whatever. And he didn't realize that inside his room, under his bed, was a treasure beyond what he ever realized. And I think in Christ, we don't realize what's inside, what Jesus has put inside of us. So when it comes to grace, God has lavished his grace on you. Notice it says he made to abound towards you. You know, there's, there's a verse in Romans 5.20. It says, where sin abounds, grace, what? Abounds so much more. Aren't you glad that God's grace is greater than your worst sin? It's just so amazing. 
So look, look at the person next to you and say, God's grace, go ahead, God's grace is enough to cover all my sin and stuff. It's enough to cover all your sin and stuff. And that's the beautiful thing about his grace. Is anybody feeling encouraged yet? All right, I'm not even halfway through. We've got more to go. Number four, I can now understand God's plan and have a sense of purpose. Look at verse 9. I love verse 9. It says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, have you ever met anybody that said they're trying to find themselves? I mean, let's, be, let's, let's talk a little bit. Can we talk, church? It happens to teenagers... It happens to 20-somethings. It happens to people enter into what type of crisis, midlife crisis. Even, it can even happen to senior adults. Now, let's, let's just say this. Paul reveals the mystery. If you want to find yourself, yourself is found in Christ. You no longer have to go searching for yourself. Here's what God's plan is. His plan is for you to enter into Christ to experience forgiveness. And not only that, his, his ultimate plan is to bring everything together in Christ. So... God's plan for you is to know Jesus personally and to make him known to everyone you know and everyone you come in contact with. That's, that's it. So for anyone that's trying to find themselves, it's right here in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. God's ultimate plan is to bring everything together. So if you want to know what God's plan is, his plan involves you receiving Christ and inviting everyone else into that relationship. Pretty simple, huh? So the great truth of redemption is that God has a plan, and you become an agent of grace. You may not have thought that you have a purpose now, but from now on, in Christ, the riches we have, we have been experiencing grace to such a degree that now we become recipients of grace to others. Amen? Number five, we're talking about riches in Christ. I am God's prized possession and have become a royal heir. Look at verse 11. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things with accordance of his counsel, his will. So, some of us may never get to receive an earthly inheritance, but all of us have received and are going to receive a heavenly inheritance. Last week we already learned that we're already blessed past tense in the heavenly places. Now, we haven't received all the inheritance yet, but God has given us many great truths and many great riches. But I want you to think about that. In him we have an inheritance. The greatest inheritance you can have is Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, God. And part of that, as I said, in the original Greek, it can be translated both ways. You are God's inheritance, inheritance or his portion, and also you're receiving it. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. So next time you get down on yourself and the devil throws those fiery darts at you, remember who you are and whose you are. You are in Christ and he has a plan for you. And you know what? It's time to live differently. Don't you think, Christian, if we, if we realized who we are, we'd live differently. You know, a lot of times as Christians, and I've been guilty of this, if we spend so much time cursing the darkness that we don't have enough time to lift up the light. And I really believe if we lift up the light, the darkness will go back. It's not that we don't have a stance against the darkness. We do. 
But you know Jesus' approach, he said, I'm the light of the world. And he spoke truth and he spoke love. And yes, we're against darkness. But if we'd spend more time lifting up the light, the darkness is pushed back. Versus if we just curse the darkness, what happens? We get depressed. Everyone else around us gets depressed. If we would just lift up Jesus, he said he would draw all men into himself. Amen. So it's easy for us to get caught up in the, the issues of today in society. And yes, we have a godly biblical stance. But you know what? If we just lift up Jesus and when the time comes, we speak the truth in love. You know what? He's going to change people's hearts and he's going to work in their hearts. And these are the riches we have in Christ. Amen. Number six, my life story is to bring God's glory. If you look at verse 12 and verse 14, I'll I'll read that back for you again. It says, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Skip down to verse 14. It says, um, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Did you ever realize that all of life is about God? It's about his glory. For those of you who grew up in a Presbyterian background and went through the catechism, uh, they have a statement, the chief end of man is to, what? Enjoy God and to glorify him forever, right? We've got to enjoy him and we've got to glorify him. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you know, that's what life's all about. And some of us practically were like, how do we do that? How do we enjoy God? Well, part of it is being thankful. So many of us, and I have to remind myself, to start in the morning thinking about how good God's been to you. And whenever he's been good to you, those negative things in your life or those challenges in your life are minimized. And whenever you realize how good he is, it begins to maximize. You know what? I am far blessed beyond what I deserve. And anything good I have, it's because of God gave it to me. And I just need to count my many blessings, as the song says. In Matthew 5.16, it says, Let your light... So shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So you know what? I think, I think what the world is looking for, you know, when, when you turn on the news and you, you hear different stuff that bothers you, what the world is looking for is Christians who actually live like Christians. And I think if our witness is there, then the verbal activity, when we tell people the truth, it lines up with our witness. For so too long, people say, I would go to church, but the church is full of what? Hypocrites. Well, you know. It's a true statement. We are imperfect. We all need grace. But you know, the, the thing about hypocrite, and as I mentioned this before, is whenever your level of knowledge surpasses your level of obedience, that gap in between is how big of a hypocrite you are. And you think about all of us who have been in church all our lives, how much do we know? <laughs> oh, a lot, right? And how much are we actually living? That discrepancy is how big. And the goal of sanctification is closing that gap. But, you know, the truth is the world is full of hypocrites, right? I mean, think about everything the world knows and what the world's doing. So if you had that philosophy, you wouldn't go to church or the grocery store or the gym or anywhere because none of us is perfect. So whenever someone uses that, the church is full of hypocrites, I'm like, you're right. And that's where God's grace fills in the gap. And that's, we want to invite you too because you too aren't perfect. And we don't claim to be perfect. We're just forgiving and God is making us more like Jesus. Amen. Number seven, I am my beloved and he is mine. Look back at verse 13. It says in verse 13, such a beautiful verse, in him you also trusted. 
after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we see here, heard, you heard the gospel, you believed, and you were sealed. The thing about a seal in the Greco-Roman world is a seal was significant. Whenever a wealthy merchant had something, he could put his seal of his signet ring on it, and that meant that was his. So to break a Roman seal was to incur the wrath of Rome. You wouldn't mess with something that was sealed. And in, in the original language, the word sealed, it, it's quite a beautiful picture. It means to seal something. It means that it is genuine, authentic, confirmed, and approved. So here, here's the beautiful picture. Whenever you became a Christian, that is, you invited Jesus into your life, you repented of your sins, you trusted in Jesus alone for your salvation, God sealed you. So that whenever the world looks at you, you stand out. You're different. You have God's seal of approval, if you will. And you know what? It's amazing to know that because of that, this signifies that we belong to God. We are his prized possession. It's like the Song of Solomon. If you ever read the book, there's a saying, I am my beloved and he is mine. And you know what? You belong to God. And that makes you so valuable in his sight. Amen. So we are sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise, number eight. So here's another jewel inside your box, being in Christ, is that now inside we have the Holy Spirit. And you're like, what difference does that make? Well, it makes a huge difference. That now not only is God with us, but God's inside of us. I remember as a college student, I went to Biltmore Baptist, and I remember my college pastor saying, he was talking to the guys and the girls. He said, did you know that wherever you go, you take God with you? And that, that kind of scared some of the people in the class. But he said, you go to that R-rated movie, guess who's watching that movie with you? And I'm like, I never thought about it. But everywhere I go, God's with me. So that, that changes the way we think about stuff. So, you know, should, should I do this if God's with me? You think about it. You carry the presence of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is with you and in you and for you. Now, we've got to draw a distinction here because it says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In church, there's a lot of confusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can see from this text and other texts that whenever a person receives Christ, they are baptized into the Holy Spirit. It's not like a second, third. It happens the moment of salvation. Let me give you a parallel passage. Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They do not belong to Christ. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. And even even from this text, it says whenever you believed and you received the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So there's only one baptism, but there's many fillings. Fast forward to Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And English language is a little uh, bit limited there, but what what the original language means is it's continual action. So keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what it looks like. The moment you pray to receive Christ, you say yes to God because he said yes to you. God moves inside your life and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we are leaky vessels. Have you noticed that? That we receive Christ, but yet we're not living for him. So to be filled with the Spirit, what that means is I'm emptying myself of me so God can fill me. God cannot fill a full vessel, right? He has to fill an empty vessel. At least he chooses not. God can fill anything, but he chooses not to fill a full vessel. So the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit 
means that you begin to empty you of yourself so that God can fill you. So you ever hear this, someone ask you, has anybody ever ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? What they're really asking is, do you surrender your life moment by moment, day by day to Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because a Christian, you have it, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? So to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you surrender your life daily. You empty yourself of your old self so that God can fill you fresh and new. So next time someone says, are you filled? I'm, I'm trying moment by moment, day by day to be filled. Amen. So practically, the Holy Spirit, I don't have time to go in a whole session on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is not an it. He is not an impersonal force, but he is God living with you. He is your helper. He's your comforter. He's the one that encourages you, leads you, guides you. And guess what? When you sin, he convicts you. So as Christians, yes, we need to hold each other accountable, but there's also a catch. We're not the Holy Spirit. So don't try to play that role in someone else's life because if God's in them, God should be convicted in them. Amen? There is accountability, but sometimes we can take it too far. Number nine, finally. How many of you are about the Brazilian steakhouse better? I'm full. I've had enough to eat. There's one more point. I now have God's promise for a bright and eternal future. Now, this is so beautiful, and I wish I had time to unpack it. Look back at verse 14. It says in verse 14, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? When God guarantees, does he deliver? I would think so, right? Until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. So here's the picture. In the original language, the word purchased possession. He is our earnest the picture is, how many of you have ever remember buying your first home? And some of you may be doing it. You normally had to give a what? Down payment, also known as earnest money. I remember when Laura and I first got married, and we got a little picture. Laura didn't know I was going to throw a picture of her. This is us at uh, First Baptist Hendersonville. We got married there. Looks so young, man. What's happened? And I was just playing. But uh, Laura still looks young, but I... Uh, I got these just in case I say something wrong. Um, So whenever I gave her a ring, and by the way, this is also a picture that the Holy Spirit symbolically is like an engagement ring. And what that signifies is the marriage will be completed when we meet him face to face. But a second meaning or connotation is it's the down payment. So this is just a little sneak preview of what's to come. So whenever you buy a house, you give the earnest money. Once you finish paying the rest, You enter into it. So here's the picture. Whenever Jesus Christ paid the purchase for your redemption, Jesus shed his blood, right? But also, he didn't stop there. He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in a symbolic sense, is God's down payment, saying that once I start a work, I finish it. So I'm not going to give up on you. So if you've ever worried, what if I lose my salvation? Look at verse 14. It says it's God's guarantee until you're fully redeemed with him in glory. Amen? So salvation, and this, this can kind of, your mind trying to understand it. In the past, when you invited Jesus into your life, you were saved from the penalty of sin. That's, that's justification, just as if I had never sinned. In the present, I was saved, but in the present, I am being saved from sin's power over my life. That's what we call sanctification. But in the future, this is what this is talking about, in the future, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. 
Isn't salvation amazing? Most of us think about the past tense. I was saved from uh, sin's penalty. I'm no longer going to hell. Amen. But now God is still saving me. That's sanctification. He's making more like Jesus. But one day, and we have this guarantee in verse 14, one day the deposit will be cashed in. The Holy Spirit is just a sneak peek of what's to come. You ever have those moments where God speaks to you and you experience him and you're like, hallelujah, moments. Eternity is going to be like that times a thousand million. We can't imagine what it's going to be like. So nobody in Christ from this day moment, hearing Ephesians can walk away like a spiritual pauper. Because in Christ, spiritually, you're rich beyond what your wildest dreams. And what we have to do is just take a box and we have to look at it and say, man, all these riches. Hmm, that's good. If I get a little tired and you want me to preach longer, I'll just eat another one. But, um, so here's your take-home truth. Your poverty, this is you before Christ, we bring nothing to the table. Just ourselves, just our willing. And by the way, Ephesians 2 will find out we were dead, so it took a miracle to save us. Your poverty is exchanged for the riches of Christ. And here's what we have to do when we place our faith in Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Christ alone. There's no works in salvation other than the finished work of Christ on the cross. All right, let us pray. Father, wow, I don't know how to follow Ephesians. Um, It's such riches and such power, God. I just want to pray, God, that you would use this scripture text to realize that when we place our faith in Christ alone, he does what we can't do. And right now, with no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you know, I never thought about salvation in three tenses. And maybe you're just at the beginning. You've never been forgiven. You've never been cleansed. You've never received the inheritance. And, you know, the Bible says if you're willing to receive Jesus, you're willing to ask him to forgive you, give your life to him. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will move inside of you. God will forgive you. And you will become spiritually rich in Christ. Is there anyone that would say, Timothy, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. I've never done that. If that's you, no one looking around. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone need to receive Christ? Okay. Would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you know, I never realized the process of God making me more like Jesus. Sanctification. I never realized that God guaranteed that he would see me through to the end. And today I just need a little encouragement along the journey. Pray for me. If that's you, just raise up your hands. I'm going to say a prayer for you as you raise your hands. Father, you see the hands that are raised. You see everything going on. I pray that you would bring encouragement for the journey. God, thank you that I brought nothing to the table but a willing heart after you gave me a willing heart. And Father, thank you for grace. That because of Jesus, we have everything and we lack nothing. We love you and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.